Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So if you've listened to the previous episode, I think it was episode 65, um, you will have an introduction to today's guest. So I've got Dimitri Damos back again for a conversation and you've had an introduction to, to Dimi. We've heard all about her process for uh, managing patients routinely in the clinic um, as a new grad. So this is a new grad series, perspectives of new grads um, that we're doing. And now what I want to talk about with Dimi is her process and her experiences managing more complex presentations and conditions. So this is always flagged uh, to me by students and people I've had on the, as guests on the podcast, many people I've worked with and mentored as one of the real challenges of being a health professional. You leave university with a, you know, a foundational set of knowledge and skills, you do your very best, and then you come straight away into the real world with the actual complexity um, that hits you in the face really in the first couple of years. And you really have to manage that. You need mentoring, you need ongoing professional development, um, you, but you need systems, you need ways to approach it so you're not missing things. And today's guest, who you already know, Dimi, I noticed, it really struck me in our mentoring conversations, how much of, how well she did with not missing things, with being thorough. She's very systematic. Um, and I want to talk to you again about this, Dimi. So welcome back to Physio Foundations. Thank you. Part two, round two. So let's pick up where we left off. So in the last episode, we were talking about your process for assessing and managing routine presentations and conditions. And one of the things I took away, the, one of the messages I took away was um, because of your, um, I guess, your, your method of doing things, which is thorough, you like to have everything mm. all lined up and, um, and have a routine um, mm. and a set of questions so you're not missing things. Um, you, yeah, you're less likely to miss things and you, you, um, mm. probably more likely to figure out, mm-hmm. um, the problems that are facing the person, but let's go back a step and talk, yes. talk through your experiences of mm-hmm. first working in the clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're, when you, um, I so said my first job was a, um, private practice job and, um, I, yeah, going into that job, uh, you're hit with everything. So um, it wasn't just a purely sort of musculoskeletal clinic. It was a bit of ev- really everything. Um, and within the first like year, I had seen a few very complex patients. I'm talking patients who ended up with tumours, who ended up with um um, have needing like a decompression surgery or um, like people who needed medical intervention post physio. And it was through the physio um, appointments and consultations that we ended up and working with a multidisciplinary team that we ended up going down that route. Um, but also starting out in the clinic, I saw so many um, of your sort of stock standard common um, conditions, like things that you learn in uni, like I um, saw a few Achilles tendinopathies and um, I saw a few um, patella tendon tendinopathies and saw um, a few of your like um, hip away patients and 
um, beside us patients. And so having those protocols at uni that you learn in MUSC um, were really beneficial for those conditions. And they were, you know, a good 50 to 60% of the time, they were the ones that I was seeing. So that was really good as well. Being able to put that in practice, that what you'd actually learn, and you felt like, oh, being quite successful here. I'm getting quite a bit of a um a kick out of actually getting someone better by following protocol. This is great, <laughs> and of course, individualizing it for the patient as appropriate. But um, yeah, there's something in that, isn't there, of just yeah. following through things that we know work. So when you talk about protocols, you're talking about mm. sort of evidence based management, best yeah, best correct. management guideline-based, for example. So you mentioned Mm. Achilles tendinopathy. So that would be in a combination of exercise load management, Mm. education um, in in place of leading with manual therapies and things. So Mm. yeah, that's that's step one, isn't it, for managing complexity is Mm. going back to the evidence and saying what is effective for 80% of people. And what about when people don't respond so you surely, yeah. tendinopathy is a good example. Mm-hmm. There's a majority of people who respond slowly and there's some mm-hmm. people who, for whatever reason, don't respond mm-hmm. uh, and they have other adjunct interventions and they can it, it can be quite chronic for them. So t- talk us about some of the times when things didn't work, the routine presentations mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. thought this will be easy um, and it, it didn't work as well as you thought it would. Mm-hmm. So um, I've... I had a few patients with um, some um, like sciatic nervy um, symptoms um, and um, with a lot of them they're, um, you know, um, doing some manual treatment and some exercise treatment and following evidence-based practice um, ended up being great and their whatever um, condition they ended up having or the reason if it was during pregnancy or if it was a um, change in their lifestyle or something then we could address that Um, or if it was actually a um, a physical thing that um, maybe they haven't been doing as much gym work or whatever it was the reason um, there yeah we could actually address it through evidence-based techniques Um, but yeah I did have a um, a case where um, they didn't get better and we were trying all these different things and there was a lot going on in the biopsychosocial approach. I like to follow that. It is really um, a great model to follow. And um, psychosocially there was a bit going on and, um, yeah, they weren't getting better and ended up needing to get some imaging done. And, it, yeah, we ended up finding something and that was where um, we needed to bring in medical intervention for that person. And it was um, just doing a bit of, I guess, trial and error is um, really important and you need to feel comfortable. can be a bit nerve-wracking, but feeling comfortable doing that as well because that's what's needed sometimes in these cases. So you follow your evidence base, you think, oh, yep, this is going to work and it might work for a little bit. Like um, for this person, it did work for a little bit and then it got – and then they got worse. And then um, um, we tried something different and then – 
that worked for a tiny bit and then it got worse. So it's um, all about trying and then trying different modalities as well. Like one session you might do massage, uh, dry needling, massage, and you might do some exercises with a TheraBand. And then the next session you might go, okay, let's just try dry needling and let's go and do um, some reformer work. Oh, and then next session we might try this or, you know, doing a bit of a trial and error thing. And sometimes it goes well and you find what works well for the patient and sometimes yeah but in the case when it doesn't I found that in those cases um it was because something else was going on that was kind of out of my control Mm, trial and error that's so important Mm. isn't it and yeah to do it you actually have to accept that you'll have error yes yes which is again another personality thing yeah yeah if personality has to allow you to say well first of all I I can be wrong yeah we're going to try it we don't know Yes. Um, can accept the uncertainty associated with that. So that's a, that's a very wise bit of advice there. I think there's a lot in that. Yeah, you so, have to be ready to fail. Not like failing, you know, but you have to be ready to fail. And so, yeah. Yeah, be happy to fail loud and proud. It, right. Or make a mistake loud and proud, basically. But what gives you the confidence to fail then? Is it having personally for you in your personal experience, is it knowing that you have a thorough routine for asking all of the important questions. Um, so for example, if it's lower back pain, you're always going to be asking the questions about their age. Are they over 55 years old and they have family history of cancer and they have night pain? We're now escalating our, our concern about the potential etiology of this, the, the diagnosis, right? Um, so talk us about your, your safety net for failing. Mm. What, what, what gives you the confidence to, to have that error? And not just always have to win. No, no, no. So I think it's a really important trait to have in healthcare. Um, You know, it's um, we're all going to make mistakes, um, obviously within reason. Um, Everyone's going to make mistakes. Everyone, you're not going to know everything. And the minute that you acknowledge that, I think you've hit the jackpot there. Um, But as long as you're really thorough, you're, you're asking all the questions, you've got a really good subjective um, and you've got something written down that you can use and you've got all the necessary questions, you're clearing your red flags um, and then you're doing your objective assessment. In that subjective, you're going to find out a lot. That's where um, I think I remember one of my lecturers saying you find like 80% of your findings in your subjective or something like that. And hes I always think, my gosh, he was so right. Like you just find so much in that communication section of your assessment and um if you've got a really good setting there and then go off and do your objective and you've done a few sessions and um you might go and do some imaging if indicated um as long as you're covering your basis and I always think in my head if I was to go into court would this hold up I always think that so I'm always going a little bit more than probably what I may need to, but then again, maybe not. And um, yeah, so I'm always like, you know what, if this stuff's up, it's, I know that I've done, I've put my best foot forward. I know I've done all the things I'm meant to do. I've followed the evidence price guidelines. Um, Maybe I have missed something or maybe this just isn't right for the patient, or maybe this is out of my scope and I need to refer on. So I have referred on to some senior physios um, when it's not you know, when I'm like, I don't actually think I can do any more with this patient and I acknowledge my limitations um, and then move on. So, mm. 
Yeah, and you're two things primary, there. Yeah, and it depends on the healthcare context around the world. Yeah. There's people listening to this podcast in not all mm. countries of the world, but countries yes. all around the world. I can see it on a little map on the app that I've managed mm. the podcast in. So hello to everyone around the world. In our context, um, we're primary contact practitioners, meaning that people can come off the street. They don't need to have seen a doctor first. So those people that you talked of earlier who had um, medical conditions, red flags, and ultimately needed to be um, sent off for medical management, did they see a doctor first or were you the first person they saw? Uh, in some cases, I was the first person they saw. Mm. Um, and in some cases, I wasn't. Um, and they were seeing a GP and some testing was being done. And yeah. they said to go and see a physio. Um, and in a, a few of the cases, it was very much um, doctor and physio. We were working very closely together and it was a very nice MDT, um, muscular, um, multidisciplinary team approach. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's just a point that bears repeating that mm. if you're working as the primary contact practitioner, the first person, maybe the only person that the person will see, it's even more reason to have a really thorough process for, for your assessment management. Then you've got to balance that with not just hammering the person with questions and gathering all this information and not knowing them as a person as well. Mm, like mm -hmm. on the last episode, we were talking about how I said, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of laughter that comes out of the treatment area when you're working yeah. with people in there and you confirmed that that was the case. So you're building that rapport. I'm sure people appreciate the going back to the trial and error um, comments you made. I'm sure people appreciate your honesty in saying, well, we're going to try this and I'm not sure. Mm. But this is what we do know. This is what we don't know. We're going to try this and we're going to see what the response is. And from the literature or from the from what I know, most people will respond to this. Mm. To me, that's, that, that's something that I would want to hear if I was going to a physio. But what, what, from your perspective, what do people, what do you think people want when they come to see you? Yeah. So um, I think people just want, they want to be helped. They're coming because they want um, you know, they want help. They want someone to tell them what's going on. They yeah. want to find out what's wrong and they want a, sometimes they want a quick fix. Um, but a lot of the time they, they're willing to do what's required, um, to actually help themselves and yeah, I guess fix the problem in the long run. Hmm. Um, by the time you've gone to see somebody, you're in that action stage behavior change, you, you, you're making your way towards progress. You've decided you want to get better, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what else do you think people want apart from they want to know what's going on, they want to get better and they, they, yeah. they're willing to yeah. take steps forward, but I guess mm -hmm. more about the process. Mm, so, mm -hmm. so you mentioned some, you mentioned previously about using manual therapy and other, well, let's call them lower value care. I think you used the traffic light system for green was full evidence-based. Yeah. Um, everyone would agree that that's um, recommended care. And then there's the orange, which was more, um, it, it's going to be more temporary, short term mm. and, and less justifiable from the literature, but in the context of helping that person, it may be really useful. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Let's explore that a bit more. Yeah, so you'll obviously have your patients that come in and expect your typical manual treatment. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, massage, um, dry needling, and some, uh, there'll be a handful that still ask for ultrasound. Um, but there are quite a few people 
that I've worked with in my short little career um, have also um, been like, oh, look, what's the evidence around this? And they're really interested in what um, literature says for what they're presenting with. And that's really great. And that's kept me on my toes, keeps me updated with you know, extra motivation to keep up with the literature. Um, and I guess they also want really good follow-up and they want someone that they can trust. Um, had a few patients being like, oh, um, I haven't, when I say, oh, have you told your doctor about this? And they go, oh, I can't tell him or her about this. Like this is a, um, yeah, I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about this or, oh, I don't think they're interested in that or, or whatever reason, like, mm. oh, well, there's always only 10 minutes to talk, so I only ever go for X, Y, Z. Um, and so it's like they almost come and they know the sessions are longer and it's like that extra person to go to to have a chat, clear the air, um, and also just discuss a few things. Like I've had some great conversations with people. And I guess that's the nice thing about physio. The sessions are longer. And while you are treating and doing exercise with them, you can have a sort of a chat at the same time. Um, sometimes not, sometimes you have to concentrate, but um, yeah, if you're just um, doing a bit of massage at for whatever time, you can have that little chat at the same time. And um, it's, yeah, I think some people really, really want that as well. And that that's what they come for, that whole biopsychosocial sort of um, approach. Mm. So this is a new grad series with you. We've been out two years but I would argue that this is these are advanced skills, and so you can you can be a new grad and you can be really good at what you're doing. And I don't think that that it's it's not a linear um, improvement. Not everyone gets to the same level of any profession. And I think you're well on your way to being uh, at a really advanced um, clinician who can really help people. Because two of the things you said there were really important: the, the ability to develop trust with people mm. and having that time to talk to them. Because what mm. we're, we're talking about here is how do you manage complex presentations? You don't do it by putting the blinders on and writing down lots of things and not listening to the person, not building rapport and, you know, not developing that trust. And then the other thing you said was follow up. And mm. so without getting into any specifics, what we've talked about um, with, um, with cases, with people, um, you know, when, when you should refer on, you mentioned referring on to other senior physios, that's yes. a really good idea. And people appreciate that too. People appreciate you saying, I don't think I have the skills to help you, um, yes. but I've got a colleague who specializes in this area who will yes. be really good. They definitely appreciate that. We've talked about that before. And what about um, referrals? What's your process referring back to doctors or doing mm. fresh referrals to, um, to specialists or I mean, via GPs, for example, talk us through how you've approached that because that can be tricky for new yes. grads. What yeah. do you say? You know, when do you call them? Yeah. When do you write a letter? What do you put in your letter? Let's get into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, if I can, and I, I usually like to do this um, for majority of my cases, when it's someone who's, um, uh, let's say, it's someone who's come for just a um, a sporting injury, then I, and it's a quite a muscular, like if it's a tendon tear or something like that I'll generally will leave it um, and I'll just manage them myself but most of the time nine times out of ten I actually write a letter to the GP after my first or second consultation just so that they know that I'm seeing the patient mm -hmm. um, and I put some relevant stuff in there I'm like so and so has come to see me for um, xyz um, this is a letter to inform you of this um, and I just like to do that as a sort of a blanket thing um, so that they know 
Um, occasionally I'll call them as well if I feel like there's something quite serious going on in the first or second session. But otherwise I'll just send them a letter um, so that they've got that, they can have a quick read over it and um, that's in their files. Um, if I pick up on any red flags and I'm like, oh, yep, no, this person really needs to um, have medical intervention, um, I will tell the patient, look, you need to make an appointment with their GP. And if I think, yeah, this person is very receptive, um, they're going to make an appointment, I will then write a letter and send it off. Um, if, though, I feel that the patient is quite um, a bit uh, hesitant and um, very busy, you know, I'm thinking someone with like three to five kids and someone who works part-time or full-time and um, something quite serious is going on and they're sort of just brushing it under the carpet, then I will yeah. call their doctor. Yeah. Mm. And refer What about on. the consent process yeah. for that, letting them know that you're going to call their doctor? Yes. Yeah. I always ask for consent. I always say, look, I'm going to call your doctor. Are you okay with that? And I've and never document that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Document it, have it in writing. And I've never had an issue with someone saying, I've never had someone say, don't do that. Mm. So well yet. I haven't had anyone say that yet. Yeah, um, back, back to our speculation yeah. about what people want out of the yeah. visit. I'd imagine that um you're going to the effort to follow up. Yeah. And you know, and, and care in that way would be something that everyone would want, but maybe not yeah. everyone, but yeah. So you've yeah. Had, you've never had someone say no to that. So that, that's a, that's a really good summary of that process. Um, you always, or nine times out of 10, you'll send a general letter to say, this is the, the doctor's um, patient or that the person is, sees that doctor or that this GP or general practitioner routinely. So of course they want to know how the physiotherapy is going. Mm. So you, you've so it's 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 also a bit of marketing as well, isn't it? You're there and yeah, and you're I, you're obviously really thorough. You're you've got good communication. You're sending that letter there, and mm. it may be that that doctor you develop rapport with the doctor as well, and they're referring more people to you. We don't yeah. often talk about the business and yeah. <laughs> side of things on this podcast. It's all about patient care, but there's yeah, yeah, you are in a private business. Yeah, I guess um that definitely. Does I, I'll be honest because, and this might be because I'm an employee and I'm on a wage, and um, but I definitely um, don't think of it in that way. But right. I have had in saying that definitely it is um, some. It ends up being marketing definitely because I have had patients being referred from doctors and I'm like, oh, that doctor looks familiar. How do I know them? And then I'm like, oh, yes, I sent them that letter. And it might be a coincidence that they're referring or sometimes I'm like, oh, it's maybe maybe they they liked my letter and <laughs> they, they liked how I manage their patient and they're sending me some of their patients, which is nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've got to put the things in the right order. Obviously, the the reason, the main reason you're contacting the doctor is to have good communication and patient care yeah. first. But um, the flow on effect for being a good practitioner and a good communicator is there will be you'll be busier, you'll be popular, yeah. you'll build up a list, um, and you'll have a better, um, you know, more lucrative career. So that, I mean, that there's that part of it as well. Mm. Um, so you mentioned court. Imagine going to court and we brushed over that. We don't want to talk about that because that's scary. Um, yeah. It does happen. Um, yeah. If And you said if you go to court, you'd be confident with your medical mm. notes. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so sometimes when you're in university, especially, and when you're a new grad, Mm. you're doing a lot of assessments because you're not sure sometimes, but also because you don't want to miss things. And that's good. For example, someone presents with knee pain and you may do a whole range of of, of physical examination, functional tests, um, strength tests, and document them all. you know, do you do you talk about WA perspective the asterisk signs? Because I trained in um, the University of South Australia and in Melbourne. Is that a universal or Australia wide yeah. thing? The yeah, asterisk no, sign. Yeah, we do have those. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah so we're talking about the um, most important physical examination yeah. or, or or subjective finding that person says, and you'll put a big asterisk next to it or highlight yeah. it, and that's the one you're going to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, talk talk us through the, the most important things that you'll document. We mentioned consent mm. for contacting mm-hmm. a doctor before. Mm. What are some things you always write down? Mm-hmm. Um, so I am very thorough with my notes and I will um, document quite a bit. So in the subjective, I'll have my headings. So I'll have like um, if they've come in with a diagnosis, I'll have diagnosis, history presenting condition, I'll have um, all of your um necessary ones and I'll always have red flags and I'll always have cleared these red flags um so they're always a list there and then under my objectives I'll always have my I'll go from general to specific usually so I'll have all my generalized like postural observations active range of motion and all my screenings of so let's say they've come in with the hip I'll always um screen like pelvic girdle, lumbar spine, um, and then also just the lower limb generally. Um, and then I'll have my specific hip test, let's say, and my, um, yeah, specific pelvic girdle test if that's indicated as well. Usually I will do that. Um, so I'll have all of that there. Um, if there's any like referred pain, um, obviously you'll sort of differentiating your subjective whether you're thinking it's more of a um somatic or if it's more of a um sort of a neural um sort of you'll need to clear the neuro side of things um but you might want to do that as well so then if there's any referred pain I will do clear neural system and then analysis so I follow the SOER um, SOPR, but we do SOER um, format. So S is subjective, O is objective, A is analysis. So that's like your diagnosis, what you think it is. Um, and then intervention, evaluation, and then when you're going to review the patient. So in my analysis, I'll say, even if I'm not sure, I'll do like a question mark and I'll go question mark um, pubic symphysis. If I'm just not sure what mm. I'm going to diagnose, but I'm like, oh, this area, then I'll put that, I'll put something in there. And then intervention, what I did, I'll be very thorough with this. I'll say exactly what I did, what areas I massaged, blah, 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 what areas I gave exercise to, um, consent as well. And if I sent a letter, I'll say sent, sent letter. Um, and in my review, I'll say, you know, where when I'm going to see the patient. So I am very, and I put a lot of information into this, and it's basically a scribe of what I've done. Like I'm not, I don't cut any corners I'm um, a fast typer. I'm a yeah. fast typer though. <laughs> and how do you, uh, how do you type your notes? Do, do you, do you mm. um, type a lot of them as you're talking to the patient? Yeah. 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 And do you involve them in that process? Do you say, this is what I'm writing. So I'm, I'm writing this down. Do you ever show mm. them the page? Um, so I always say, look, I'm going to, the, 
when I first see them, I'm like, so look, I'm just going to be typing away. If this annoys you, just let me know. Yeah. Um, but tell me your story. And I just, st- oh, I always start my sessions with that. And tell then me I'll a story. Be, I like yeah, it. Yeah, tell me a story. Yeah. And then I'll look at them. I'm quite good at touch typing. So I'll be looking at them and conversing. And at the same time, I'll be typing on my computer. So I guess it's a, that's a skill that I've learned over the years and um, in uni doing all your assignments and everything. And it's a really good skill to have. Can honestly say it's been great. And then half my notes are done before the end of the session and I've paid attention. I've, I know what's going on, but everything that's important is written down already. So then when I go to finish the notes, I only need five or 10 minutes to finish them. There's some new emerging technology with AI that I, I know nothing about and listeners can tell me about um, related to medical notes. Where yes. Have you played around with any of that? No, but I've heard a few people talk about it and how it's been really efficient for them and their notes. So, so it's an audio recording of the interview yeah. and yeah. transcription and then from there using AI to pull out um, and organise the notes. Mm. That's my understanding. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that that changes the interaction as well. It's good. Mm. It's almost what I was hinting at before that it when I say do you do you actually show the notes and, and talk about what you're typing? There's almost a, a feeling when you've got a complex problem. I'm finally seeing Demi, who's going to help me with this shoulder yes. problem that um, I've been putting off for ages, and then she's actually asking all these really relevant questions and taking an interest and writing things down and following up and building that trust, as you mentioned before. There's something in that, the process of taking notes. I mean, you could probably overdo it. You take too many notes and not listen to the person. But it'd be interesting to see if emerging technology sort of disrupt in the same way that when we went from pen to paper, pen and paper to computers. Yeah. That took some adjustment. Have you ever done that? Have you always been on computers? Yeah. Typing notes? You've never sat there with the old body chart and the pen and paper and scribbled everything down in doctor's writing that no one can read? (laughs) I have when um, the Wi-Fi has been down and I'll be honest, I have found it so difficult because I'll be, I cannot write near as fast as I can type. And um, I can, when you're, when I'm listening to the patient, I'm writing things down. The page is so messy because I'm writing like so much down because I don't want to forget anything almost. And I want to get a really good picture and I'm just writing all this stuff down and I don't use body charts well at all. And I cannot use a piece of paper well at all. Um, yeah, definitely not a skill I have. But if something you mentioned yeah. somatic or neural somatic yeah. preferred pain or, or neural related pain in yeah. a limb, um, obviously the first thing you, one of the first things you do is check, is it bilateral and has the other side. Yes. And so how, how do you record that with typing? I guess you could, you would just type Left leg only, right yeah. leg is right leg clear. Yeah. So yeah. you just adjust to whatever mm. format you're in. And I'll like, I'll just document like um, middle, um, central calf. And then if I find that there's a dermatome, I'll be like, oh, yeah, this dermatome. Um, and yeah, document all of that. So I will describe where the pain is. So if it's like, let's say um, this patient had left side um, from, um, top of iliac crest wrapping around to the sacrum um, radiating down to like middle central um, left posterior thigh they're Mm. showing me that pattern that is literally what I will write yeah 
and then I know where it's going. And I could take a body chart right now and, and draw that yeah. on there. So it's 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 fine. It's just a communication yeah. tool. And yeah. and I guess the point there that we're making is that mm. if you're typing only, you have to be mm. quite specific. Yes. Yeah. You've got to be very specific and you have to be quite descriptive as well. Mm. Yeah. So that's something that you're good at. You're very, I'd describe you as very thorough and specific, but you're also patient centered. You open yeah. your interview or your, as you call it, the subjective assessment um, with tell me your story. Mm. There's a real openness to that and an uh, invitation for the person to actually tell you some things that they may not have had a chance to tell someone else. Mm. Yeah, I've had yeah. some people start crying. Um, yeah. But, you know, because when they're especially going through some really tough times and they're going through an issue that's been a real issue for us quite some time. Um, but, yeah, it's a, I've found that it's a really good way to open it up because you'll get a bit of everything usually. So they'll give you a bit of the bio, a bit of the psycho and a bit of the social. And then you're like, oh, and you get a, re- a really good feel within that five minutes, five to ten minutes of, what you're dealing with, and then you can take direction from there. If yeah. you start with, I tried it a few times starting with questioning and it's just not natural for me mm. and I've found it hard to um, sort of navigate the session and actually get a feel for the person. So I think um, actually talk, like getting the person to chat and you're sort of experiencing what sort of personality you're dealing with um, are you dealing with someone who's a bit yellow flaggy? You can really pick that up in the first five to 10 minutes. Mm. Are you dealing with someone who's got a really good open mind and um, is like, you know, really specific, knows what they want, knows what's going on, and they're very structured? Are you working with someone like that? Or are you working with someone who is, let's say, you wouldn't write this in your notes, but a bit of an emotional mess and a lot going on and a lot everything is literally going wrong in their life and you're dealing with a lot of psycho and so you might not even deal with what they're coming in for because what's more important. I just got to jump in there and say you're, you're yeah. talking about the psychological part of the bio, yeah, psycho, yeah, social. Yeah. Everyone knows what, <laughs> hopefully, everyone knows what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, yeah, I do use abbreviations. Um, and, yeah, so that's um, really important just looking into, yeah, opening that up and seeing what you're, yeah, who you're dealing with. And then that also is the basis for building rapport later on in sessions. Mm. There's so much in that. And I reckon we've got more episodes up our sleeves if you're up for it. We Obviously, we had a really good year to, um, of mentoring. Um, yeah. I, I really, I had did my feedback to the Australian Physio Association and I just, and I, I thought their, their program was, I'm, I'm I'm not promoting it anyway. I'm just a, a participant, but um, I, I thought that that was a really well organised mentoring program, and they had really good supports. And and my, my feedback there was, I thought that match was really good. So we had, uh, I felt that there was a lot I could offer you, um, but also I was learning a lot from you from your processes, and and also being on the other side of our country, our very large country. Um, and having a, a different training. So you trained at Notre Dame. I trained in Melbourne universities and Adelaide universities. So having a different approach, but seeing all the similarities was really interesting as well. But it really struck me how you, how well you did with the uncertainty and managing that complexity in the clinic. Um, but what we've done well there is we haven't um, divulged any personal information whatsoever. We've really talked in general terms, but we've mentioned 
you know, some of those common and less, less common and, um, and potentially quite dangerous problems that can come along to manifesting as musculoskeletal conditions. So you mentioned tumors, for example. So you've got to be, we've got to have our, what are, what are they called? The spidey senses. We have to be on alert for, uh, for you know, problems that can be quite serious and even fatal. And at the same time, be, be aware that a lot of things are routine and, and will improve. And so you've, you, I feel like you had a really good uh, approach to being thorough, but also being patient centered that I wanted to share with anyone. Do you have any other final thoughts to add to what we've been saying here? No, I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, I wish all new grads the best. It's a really great journey and it can be nerve wracking, but, um, I think, you know, you've just got to sort of, there is that little saying, fake it till you make it. Um, and I think that's, it's not so much a, um, be laissez-faire about what you're doing and blase. It's more, you know, be excited to work with new and exciting cases and complex cases. And sometimes you're the one that will find things and you're, it's through your analysis that you'll find, oh, actually, this is not quite right. Mm. And then, you know, going through that process, that's how you learn. You learn through doing. So being really open to that, you know, you've got a great first step in your career and that's how you'll develop. And it's, you know, the first year is exciting. It's also hard, but, you know, it's it's the basis of what you'll do, you know, going forward. And so just take it as it comes, learn as much as you can. And yeah, definitely would get a mentor. Definitely would get a mentor in the first couple of years. Mm. Yeah. Fantastic, Dimmy. Um, let's leave it there. There's so much more we can talk about, but we'll come back and, and do this again and uh, perhaps explore some of your other um, complex presentations, but also the, your emerging special interest area in um, women's health and pelvic health. Um, but you're a really good role model for new grad physios in terms of the passion that you put into it um, and your approach to it. So really good to have you on. So oh, thanks, thank you Lou. very much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so for listeners, um, for a bit of housekeeping, disclaimer, first of all, this is in all the show notes. This is a conversation aimed at health professionals and health professional students. Sounds like I'm reading this. This is coming from, I've read, I've said this so many times. Uh, it, it's, it's a podcast discussion that's aimed at health professionals and health professional students. So um, bear that in mind. There's probably not too much specific in here that you could go and act on if you have a medical condition, but of course, see somebody like Demi or your doctor or a physio or another health professional that you trust. Um, and you can see the benefits of finding someone who is uh, really person-centered and who opens their interviews with tell me your story and who listens to you. You can see what um, a really good health professional can offer you. So um, don't just get all your information from online is my disclaimer. And another bit of housekeeping is Physio Foundation's episode summaries. We're talking of AI, I have used some AI um, software to um, summarize the transcripts. So you transcribe them and then summarize and get the key points. And then I write a little summary based on that. So thank you, AI, um, which means I can get a written summary of these episodes. Eventually, we'll get a summary of this episode out there. So you can get onto periton.physio or LinkedIn and have a look at that. You can find us at Periton Physio or me at Luke Periton and send me a DM or message if you want to continue the conversation. Demi, um, are you comfortable with anyone reaching out to you? And yeah, of course. I don't want to dob you in. No, no, yeah. Where can yeah. people find you? Um, so you can find me, I'm in Perth. 
Um, but if you do have any questions, you can email me. My email is dimdam, D-I-M-D-A-M, so timtamsworkdays, 9079 at gmail.com. So go. if you need anything, you can email me there. It's very generous. And then we'll see how much spam comes in. The spam <laughs> comes in anyway, so... Have a good, nah, have a good spam filter. Good. That's, that's very generous. So, you know, you've got someone here that you can, um, can become your mentor, or at least you can be a part of the, you know, the, these important conversations in these important new grad years. But once again, Demi, thanks very much and can't wait to do again. Yeah, that's been good. So until next time, this is Dimitri and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.